Welcome to The Sound, KQAL-FM's weekly behind-the-scenes look at Midwestern-made music. From writing and recording to distribution and promotion, The Sound is your source for new releases and exclusive interviews from Midwestern artists. Support for The Sound is made possible by a grant from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Rolling. Last night, Hold on tight, because tonight on The Sound, we're going to hit 88 miles per hour as we take you back to the mid-80s for the Victims album, Silent Dreams. Originally released on vinyl in 1986, Silent Dreams is now being re-released in digital form, a whole 35 years after its original release. We caught up with Victims vocalist and keyboardist Steve Harm to find out what it was like to start a band, make a record, and book tours, all without the aid of the internet. Imagine three teenagers in rural Wisconsin in the early 80s creating a buzz across the country, capturing the attention of college radio, record labels, and even Billboard magazine. I'm Bill Stoneberg. Stick around as we take you back to 1986 for the victim's album, Silent Dreams, tonight on The Sound. That was Pleased by the Victims, originally from West Salem, Wisconsin. And uh, we have Steve Harm on the phone with us today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight. No problem at all. Yeah. Um, I was really excited about this interview because, uh, well, uh, the Victims album, Silent Dreams, it was originally released in 1986 and uh, now being re-released uh, this Friday, April 23rd, uh, 2021 on Give Take Records. Um, I remember, I kind of remember seeing the album posted on YouTube a while back, maybe last fall or something. Um, and I, I thought it was really cool. And then I heard about this. Uh, how did the re-release uh, come about? How did this all happen? Well, that was connected. Um, I was looking for a, a digital version of it just so I could have one for myself. And I started snooping around and I found uh, some weird things. Like there was a, a digital version of it on, uh, I think it was Pirate Bay. Oh, and wow. uh, this, this gods, this big um, site where it, it where it, um, they, they kind of chronicle bands, discographies, and they dissect all the, the people that were involved in the records. And they have, if, if Madonna released a record, they'll 
have the 60 different versions of it that were released around the world. Mm-hmm. I found a, a, a Silent Dreams CD on there, which oh. really freaked me out because we didn't release a Silent Dreams CD. Right. So somebody was already bootlegging it. So I, I decided to look a little further, and I found a, a YouTube website, and I can't remember what it was called, but the, the guy was highlighting uh, audio of lost 80s bands that he thought should people should hear. Mm-hmm. And there was there was the Silent Dreams album, and uh, it had a ton of really good comments, and uh, and, a, and a couple bad ones. Apparently, there's a there's another band called The Victims. It's a, a hardcore punk rock band somewhere, and uh, those fans were really pissed. Oh boy! The way of band that they were listening to, but I I posted it online just because I thought it was fun. Right, and was only maybe at the most a week later that these guys from Minneapolis who have an electronic label up there contacted me and said, hey, this this is pretty cool. Um, do, you, do you think you'd want to re-release it? And that had never occurred to me in 100 million years because the, the record itself, like you said, is uh, 14, 20, 30, 35 years old, right. which is ridiculous. I, I own a music venue or run a music venue where our customers are half that age. <laughs> right. So the idea, the idea of ever releasing anything that had to do with me that was music related, that was 35 years old or any record of, you know, from that mm-hmm. time that, that nobody knew that wasn't a classic was just kind of crazy, but they, they asked. And so I, I asked my brother, um, who's the drummer. He lives out in Phoenix and he didn't, he didn't really have any any problem with it, and we couldn't find our guitarist. Actually, uh, I still can't find him. Oh wow! Yep, he vanished years ago, and uh, uh, just doesn't have much internet presence, I guess. Right. Well, that happens with um, some of us older folks, right? You know. <laughs> certainly, and, and most of us, I think, wish we could probably be that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but these guys in Minneapolis kind of like every every couple well probably every other week they they were on me but they were nice about it and you know we understand if you don't want to do this but if you do we're ready to do this and uh, when we finally decided okay why why not uh, the, the main problem um, began with the fact that we didn't have the master tapes anymore. Right. Uh, we had recorded at uh, Street of Roll Studios in Chicago, a uh, studio that was mostly known for blues bands. Um, um, they did um, all the Alligator Records stuff, or almost all that was oh, done cool. down there. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of neat. And then it also some Chicago industrial bands, like Ministry. Okay, there and, nice. Um, Patrick Leonard, who was producing... Uh, one of the Madonna records was work, work there to produce that. But uh, when the studio closed, um, which I think was probably about 15 years ago, all the tapes they had in storage on. Right. And there go the masters. So we, yep. So we got these guys in Minneapolis that want to remaster it and there's nothing to remaster. Right. So, so we decided, okay, we got, two copies of the album left that are sealed. Um, hopefully they haven't been destroyed, just being stored 
for 30 years by heat and everything else, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll send them to you guys. And if they play well, you guys can decide what you want to do. And they, they found a friend, um, an audio friend of theirs that they've been working with that had this ungodly uh, turntable set up, um, you know, with obviously far more than just a turntable. All right. Just had, they sent me a list of the bells and whistles he was using, and he pulled the audio off the, the vinyl so that uh, the guy who was doing the remastering would have the digital version to work with. Right. Wow. So was, and even at that point, I was thinking, this isn't happening. You guys are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> what did it feel like the first time you heard the digital release? Was it much different? I mean, did, what did that feel like? I don't have the world's greatest stereo in my office, but um, I, I thought it sounded pretty good. And I was, I was, I was listening very close for pops, snaps, mm-hmm. misses, everything you get off vinyl, which actually, I guess, probably wouldn't have bothered me that much. I knew it was vinyl, but uh, mm-hmm. it's these guys when they're when they're pushing it, they they I don't believe that they've even pushed the fact that we had to get this off the vinyl. But um, no, it sounded really good. We had. Um, when we put that album out, we, we really, we, we knew it was probably going to be our one chance to put out a good product. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we did a lot of delving into how records are manufactured. And um, also at that same time, 85, 86, CDs were starting to get to be more popular. They weren't all the releases that were coming out then, but they were probably uh, a third or maybe two fifths. Mm-hmm, right. And, uh, but we knew, we knew that if we were going to put out vinyl, which we wanted to do because of the artwork size and everything else, and you know, raised on vinyl, mm-hmm. um, we knew that we were going to have to compete with the sonic uh, capabilities of the CD. So we we made sure that it, the vinyl was uh, going to be virgin vinyl. That when they when they press a record and they trim the the excess vinyl off of it, they'll reheat and use that. Oh. For, Another record, another record, another record. Typically, mm-hmm. but when it's virgin vinyl, when it's virgin vinyl, they don't do that. They they take the, the shavings off and they use them for a different project. Um, you know, for something that's less particular, I guess. Right. And then the the, the original mastering was uh, direct metal mastering, which I don't quite understand, but Wikipedia has a page on it. <laughs> right. And, uh, it, it's something to get the the, um, the sound of the actual plates that make the the record to sound as close to the original tapes as possible. So, okay. At any rate, we, I knew we had at least, if, if the album was going to uh, transfer for those guys, um, it, it would hopefully be a, a, a good copy because uh, when we had originally done it, um, some, of the, um, some of the reviews we got mentioned uh, how good of a quality sound mm-hmm. the vinyl had. Yeah. So yeah. we knew it was, it was a good product to work with. I think the Billboard review from Billboard magazine mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to talk to, about that a little bit later. Um, um, you guys got some good press, you know. Uh, uh, just to let everyone know, you can find the album on Bandcamp. Well, when it comes out this Friday, uh, right now the single "Please" is out there. Uh, but yeah, there's some reviews on there. Uh, quotes from uh, the original release from Billboard and from a couple uh, college radio stations too. Um, very impressive. Very cool. Uh, let's. Uh, I want to talk about that stuff, but let's play another tune for folks. Um, 
Uh, the next one I've got queued up is Silent Dreams. So uh, the first track. Um, so let's get into that, and then we'll talk some more. I'm here with Steve Harm from The Victims. Uh, we're talking about the re-release of their album, Silent Dreams. So uh, here's the title track, the first track, Silent Dreams, right here on The Sound on 89.5 KQAL. That was Silent Dreams from The Victims. That is off of their uh, re-release that's coming out this Friday. Uh, the album's called Silent Dreams, and uh, it was originally released in 1986. And we have Steve Harm from The Victims on the phone with us. Uh, Steve, so you were talking about the quality and stuff, and um, it's kind of interesting. The forethought you guys put into it back then in the 80s um, kind of helped this re-release happen and, and, um, and work as well as it has. Um, can you take me back there to the eighties, like kind of to the beginning, you know, small town, Wisconsin, early eighties. Um, how did you guys get started? How did the victims, uh, happen? Boy, I know that's a big um, one. <laughs> it's a big one. And man, it, it was a long time ago. Right. 35 uh, years ago was when that record came out, but we started playing about five years before that. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was 16. I think my brother was 14. Um, we'd always been music fans, and, and uh, uh, I, I think my mom pushed us both to take piano lessons, except my brother liked drums a lot more. I stuck with the piano and, and bought a Sears chord, chord organ, which was just this little goofy, you'd think a, 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 a monkey would play it at a... Um, like at a carnival or something. It was only about two feet 
feet long and you'd hit like a note. It's like you'd hit like a C and it would do a C chord. You'd hit an F and you'd do an F chord. Right. Just goof. These buddies in in school were uh, starting a cover band and, and I joined them in that. I was with them for a little while. My brother just did his own thing. And um, But those guys uh, had a friend who had uh, a, a pretty good bankroll. His parents were rich. And uh, parents bought him a couple of really nice keyboards, and that was the end of Steve in that band. Uh-huh. So, uh, so I was out of the band, and uh, only option was play with my brother. So we started a two-piece band, just doing drums and keyboards. And I, I don't understand um, how we were so fearless at the time. I mean, now you see like uh, you know the White Stripes or you know any number of bands where there's, there are two-piece bands that, that make it, but. Um, the, the the level of technology they could use now uh, for audio is, is so much different than I was using a Rhodes piano, mm-hmm. electric piano, and my brother just had his drum kit, and uh, wow. we were booking ourselves bars, and we were doing high school dances, and I, I just I I wish I had it all on video because it makes no sense to me looking back on it. Right, that's amazing. That is fantastic. Somebody at a local record store suggested we try to find a guitar player, and we auditioned a ton of guitar players before we we found Jeff in Alaska. And uh, so that was a so we uh, you wanted to know how it got started. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. So that's yeah. it, huh? So early '80s, you guys are in high school. Oh man, yeah, and fearless. I like that word. That is that's pretty descriptive of that because uh, yeah, two pieces weren't as uh, prominent back then, you know. Um, and you know, also like just the fact of of recording an album, you know. I mean, um, it's like today's world. You know, it's so much different. It's it's a whole different thing. Like how did how did you guys get into that? How did that go down? Yeah, it. it you know, we. Um I was always sort of like looking back and I was probably obsessive compulsive um, because when I got into something, man, I, I dug into it and I was a huge fan of, of new music. And, you know, we're in West Salem, Wisconsin, where the population is 2,180 mm-hmm. closest city is lacrosse where it's about 35 or 40,000 at that point. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to find any music publications. There's no cable TV. There's nothing. So, Upon occasion, we would go to Minneapolis, and there was a bookstore uh, downtown called Schinders that had all of these uh, magazines from Europe um, and newspapers like New Music Express um, and, and Melody Maker, and they mm-hmm. had they were full of reviews, which for me was like finding a pot of gold. Yeah, and I would uh, I'd go through all the reviews and I'd circle stuff that I wanted, and when I could afford it, I would mail away for it because that's how you did it. There was no internet, right? And, and you usually couldn't find it at a record store, so I'd have to mail away for it. But, um, you know, it, it, it made us want to do original music, hearing new stuff that people were doing. And the, the next logical step is you do a 45, and, and we did that. We found a guy up in Ripon, Wisconsin, that had been advertising in some Wisconsin, uh, like one of those calendar papers that has, like, all the events mm-hmm. from all the, all the stuff. And uh, recorded our first single for probably you know 100 150 bucks or something at his studio, but that that turned out to be Tim Hale, who was just out of uh, uh, school at that point and had started a little that, a little studio, and uh, eventually went on to work at, uh, at at Streeterville as one of the top engineer okay. producers. There. Mm-hmm. 
and we kind of lucked out because he carried us the whole way. And he was a, he was a very, very, very tolerant guy. Right. Oh, that is, that is fantastic. Like, you know, cause today, like you mentioned the internet, you know, I mean, people can go on the internet and find all kinds of stuff out there, find connections like that, you know, but back then, like you said, you had to mail away for music. You had to, you know, scour in the back of magazines for opportunities, you know, that is pretty amazing. You mentioned, you mentioned college uh, radio at one point and uh-huh. we had some luck on that. We didn't, we didn't accidentally have some dumb luck on college radio. Um, no internet again. So you, there was no way to find a, um, a, a, a listing of uh, college radio stations. Um, but eventually we found a publication called uh, CMJ New Music Report, mm-hmm. which was the, um, uh, it was a staple together, like 11 by 17 inch uh, with about um, probably 15 or 20 pages that came once a week. And it had about 600 college radio station playlists in it from all across the country. Oh, wow. And it would have like the top 20 from all these college radio stations. And uh, at, at that point, record sales and airplay actually mattered to labels. I don't even know what matters anymore. Right. Um, um, but if, if you could get on the college radio chart, then labels were going to look at you. Mm-hmm. So we, we busted it. Um, calling all of these radio stations, you know, six, 700 radio stations. My poor mom and dad, we had to, you know, we worked out of our house in West Salem. And uh, so we used the house phone and they could never answer their own phone as the harm house. They had to always answer it as zero budget records. (laughs) And then if if somebody asked them any complicated question, it was just, well, I'm just the janitor. (laughs) So I, I, it inadvertently, you know, or intentionally, I guess, turned my parents into the janitorial staff at the Zero Budget Records headquarters. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we, so those, those college radio stations, we, we found out um, who the program directors were. We found out what their, their taglines were, like, uh, you know, this is WLGO, the, the rock of the Western Valley. Mm-hmm. And we did caller IDs on cassette tape for all those stations. Oh, wow. Six, seven. Yeah, and and mailed them out, and uh, we sent out postcards with them, asking them uh, because again, no internet. What are the good venues in your town? What are the good skateboard shops? What are the good record stores? Um, is there anywhere else in town we could put up posters? And we we started a database which was handwritten and then later typed by me, but again, no internet, so. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that when, so we could actually tour on our own and we'd know, you know, where to, where to send posters to in advance and, um, uh, everything that we need to know before we got to the town, Right. get to learn the program directors and the college radio station is so good that, uh, you know, if you, if we had a day off somewhere between Cleveland and Cincinnati, we're, we're at a college radio station somewhere doing an interview. Oh, cool. Um, and then at a record store, um, signing some posters and, and giving stuff away, you know, whatever we could do, which that's as, as somebody who books bands now at a venue, I, I've seen some bands who are really, uh, uh, aggressive like that, I guess, go getters. Mm-hmm. And I've seen other bands that they love to schedule their tour. So they have two or three days off and they can just mess around and right. man, the competition. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can't really uh, rest when you're doing that. You know, I just li- hearing you tell that story and talk about that, like, I'm just imagining, man, if, having that kind of ambition today with today's tools, you know. I mean, so you guys uh, did like the station IDs on your own and just sent them out to the stations? Yep. Oh, wow. That yep. is, that's a great idea. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, when you're doing six or 700 station IDs, you go insane. So <laughs> yeah. some of them weren't 15 second uh, IDs. Some of them were like two minute long epics about, uh, you know, tuning through all the other crap stations in the area. And, uh, <laughs> oh my God, we just, we put on audio plays probably for some of these guys. Oh, cool. And, uh, we got some responses saying that the people were reacting better to our uh, caller IDs than the record. <laughs> <laughs> so did that, is that how you booked the, the tours then is by those connections, right? Yep. Although once we started booking ourselves uh, around the country at, at, at venues, um, uh, and once we hit a couple colleges, some of the college people told us about NACA, which is the National Association of Campus Activities. Ooh. And that's an organization that has, uh, at that point had like nine different regions of the U S that would have a, they'd have a convention and all these booking agents would come there and set up a big exhibit hall and try to con these student activities committees into booking their bands. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there'd be showcases where the bands would play and uh, you could, if you were lucky, uh, you could book a tour from region to region to region and you could get like two or three um, campus gigs in every region and it would you know, really pay for it. Mm-hmm. And we kind of stuck out because we, we decided to do that. And, you know, while there were a lot of booking agents there booking 10, 12, 14, 15, whatever bands, uh, or else it was just us booking us. So we had a TV show and some videos and we were giving away cassette tapes and, you know, schmoozing the, the activities kids as much as we could. And mm-hmm. wow. that really helped us be able to afford the record because campus activities, they want to piss off campus activities people, but campus activities kids aren't always the brightest when you're talking to them about money. Oh, yeah, and for sure. We, we found that we could say, or they wanted us for a, a spring fling or something that we could say, well, you know, what's your budget? And they would literally toss. Yeah. And that is just not smart. <laughs> right. Um, well, we, you know, we've only got $1,700. And then you could immediately go, oh, geez, I don't know if we can do that. Um, <laughs> let, me talk, let me talk to the other guys and see if we can figure out something on the way that we can look, you know, and, and of course you're going to take that gig. Right. Uh, uh, so we ended up with, we did a lot of very decent pay college gigs. Um, <laughs> it helped pay for a, a PA and a truck and uh, uh-huh. and the album. You know, um, speaking of which, we should get back to some tunes, but I want to I ask you more about um, the distribution process as well, like how you got this out there in fans' hands. But um, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I'm talking to Steve Harm right now. Uh, He's from uh, The Victims. Um, That's what we're talking about today, the re-release of uh, Silent Dreams. Um, That comes out this Friday, April 23rd. So uh, here is another track from the album. This is called Let Her Go. And you're listening to it on The Sound on 89.5 KQAL. (laughs) 
that was Let Her Go. That's from the victims. That's from the re-release that comes out this Friday, April 23rd. And uh, I've got Steve Harm from the victims on the phone today. Uh, Steve, so we were kind of talking about um, how you guys book tours and uh, got your name out there, um, you know, pre-internet age, you know, and doing things like uh, creating station IDs and just mailing them to a station cold. Um, I think that's fantastic. Uh, what about the getting the record in actual fans' hands, too? Was that just like taking it with you on the road and doing shows? Or, you know, did you mail them out to the local stores in these college towns? How, how did that work? Um, it was there was a lot of it on the road and uh, a lot of it on the road was, you know, selling at the show. But prior to that, going to the local record stores to see if we could get them to, to put a couple copies in there. Mm-hmm. It, we always looked at it as a, as a calling card. I mean, we, we weren't ignorant of the fact that it's pretty hard to make your money back on that. Mm-hmm. And if, if you make a record and your goal is to make the money back, um, then you're not looking very long term at, at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted it to be the best calling card, you know, possible. And, you know, I had hope that a, a major label might take over the, the reins so we didn't have to do all that. But um, we sold a lot in this area because um, we did it. Uh, we started all ages shows at a venue that was in La Crosse um, called, it was called the Silver Bullet, but it had been called the Mississippi Queen. Okay. Yep. Yep. And, I remember that place. Uh, and it was a venue that uh, primarily did bands out of the cities that were booked by this company called Good Music Agency, and they were they specialized in booking bands that would play at the same venue uh, four nights a week doing all covers. And uh, they had a, a route for like 30 bands that they could keep going through Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa. And, and these venues would actually do okay because people would go out and see that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And occasionally uh, this, this place would do uh, touring bands, um, you know, bigger, bigger touring acts. Mm-hmm. But uh, we convinced the owner, Val Palin, that uh, he could do an all-ages show there and, uh, you know, put away all the booze and just make it strictly all-ages, and we could uh, we could fill the place for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he thought we were nuts, but on a Sunday we, we told him, uh, you know, let's just charge five bucks, 1986, five bucks, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, we'll split it with you. And, you know, Sundays at that at a venue that big was just pointless to even have the doors unlocked normally. So mm-hmm. we did it and we put 1500 people in there <laughs> and yeah, 1500 high school kids with no fights, go figure. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we did that a few more times, but we, at that kind of event, you'd sell a lot of records and you know, we had a, uh, we worked with a couple small distributors. And in fact, when I was uh, digging for stuff for these guys from Minneapolis at the label, um, digging through old boxes and memorabilia, I found a couple of, invoices for boxes of records that we'd sent to different distributors that I am 110% positive we didn't get paid for <laughs> right. um, back then. But who knows, they may have just stayed in their warehouse the entire time too. Yeah. But it's funny, I hear bands all the time who know about it. And, and from there's a couple bands from here that tour that will call me up from Jacksonville, Florida, or send me a picture from Jacksonville going, look what I found at the record store. Oh, cool. And it's because those it's because of those college radio stations, I think, because we surfaced all of them with albums. So we sent out like 600 albums to college radio stations, oh, wow. um, which is a, a massive undertaking. Yeah. It's not West Salem, but we were used to it because I'd also been sending out, I mean, you know, to book those shows around, 
at, at like venues that weren't at colleges, we had to put together a press kit. Um, I think I've got some pictures of that on the Facebook, the, the victim's Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to put together a, a press kit uh, that we can include a cassette with, and then we mailed out thousands of those to venues. Oh, wow. Um, people tell me about having a cassette every once in a while. I've got this weird cassette that I think has your band on it. And uh, I, I think a lot of the local bands thought that we just kind of made a record and everything was simple. <laughs> right. And it was, it was far from that. When you're going to mail out um, a thousand press kits to, to venues to try to set up a tour, that's me working about 20 hours a day. Um, just sign. And, and I never sent out anything that didn't have a signed letter. Mm-hmm. because I always wanted to make sure there was a personal connection. So right. yeah, my signature looks, I have the worst signature in the world because I've signed so much. Yeah. That's a lot of legwork compared to, um, uh, typing on a, on a keyboard these days, you know, or just printing out, uh, a whole set of mailing labels or something. <laughs> right. I had to, I, and address all those packages. Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah. Well, you guys worked for it, you know? Wow. We did. That is fantastic. You know what else? I, I also I saw a post of yours uh, uh, that you guys used some uh, some some of the vinyl LP like the center labels as as promotional tools. You know, putting them under windshield. You know, uh, put them on windshields and uh, in in lockers in the local high schools. I thought that was pretty creative. We take like six of us and and uh, those those circular labels you're talking about the center label that's on the vinyl. We'd, we'd write all the show information on the back and we'd wait till about four o'clock after, well, maybe three thirty after everybody was mostly out of the school mm-hmm. and we just go into central high school and just bam, 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 dropping them in locker slots. Right. And you know, we get kicked out once in a while, but otherwise we just do it, do it, you know, do it and then hide it when somebody walked by and go back to doing it. Yeah. The next morning when, when a thousand lockers are open, there's a thousand victims flyers all over the floor. <laughs> that is fantastic. Oh, and we could, uh, I don't think they had cameras back then. So I think we were perfectly capable of disavowing any knowledge mm-hmm. of how they got there. Totally. <laughs> totally. It's magic, right? You know, um, yeah. do, you know, that's, you know, when I saw that post, I was thinking about that and the way, uh, uh, th- things are promoted these days. Like I don't, I rarely see flyers anymore. Even, you know, do you think that kind of real world promotion has kind of gotten lost because of the internet? Maybe or uh, it hasn't. I mean, maybe maybe people don't pay attention to it as much. I, I certainly notice when I'm walking past a uh, a board at a college or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I take a look at the events, or if a poster leaps off that board at me and uh, you know gets my attention, I take a look at it. I go to uh, Winona once in a while and UWL all the time putting up posters. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen posters done by various student committees that obviously those kids don't care about posters because there's uh, there's no date. So they'll, they'll completely forget like one of the, the three most important things, which is what is it, where is it, and when is it. Right. Tough for me to give young bands a stack of posters to put up for their show. Because and this has happened where I, I'll give them a stack and and then I'll I'll help them load in the day of the show and I'll look in the back of the car and there's the whole stack. Oh wow! Except for the band guy took to put up in his room, you know. Right. I don't quite get the 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 idea of uh, repetition and marketing and mm-hmm. people need to see visuals. Uh, I think 
you know, besides internet marketing, it's, it's, I think it's good to see a static poster once in a while. Oh, I think it is too. I miss seeing them on the, uh, I know, uh, like a few blocks from my house, there's a, uh, some telephone poles on this intersection where I used to see a lot of flyers back in the day, you know, like when I was in high school, but, uh, now it's just full of staples, you know, I don't see that oh. many anymore, you know, so it's, it's kind of a sad sight for me. I miss that. We're going to get back to some music here, Steve. Uh, I'm talking to Steve Harm from The Victims. Uh, The Victims released an album in 1986 called Silent Dreams. It is being re-released digitally this Friday, April 23rd. And um, we're going to play another track from that. that, uh, This one is called Tokyo Waits. And uh, you're listening to it on The Sound on 89.5 KQAL. That was Tokyo Waits. That is from the that is from their release, Silent Dreams. Uh, it was originally released in 1986, now re-released this Friday, April 23rd. And uh, we have Steve Harm from the Victims on the phone with us. Uh, Steve, so earlier you mentioned a little bit about um, 
the college radio play and uh, some quotes from that and some quotes from Billboard. Um, you know, I, I think that was that was really cool. I saw that quote. It said, uh, uh, "Strong synth." guitar driven trio you know uh, it says these guys know what they're doing and merit a serious look from a major you know so i was wondering about that like um um it seemed like you guys were really poised to take off uh what was that experience like and um you know kind of what happened there after the record you know hit and you guys are out there touring you're doing all this stuff calling the radio stations um what was the next uh, step there what happened yeah, we, we were certainly in that grind where it was, you know, um, contact, book, play, come back, book another tour, keep mm-hmm. doing that. And uh, it, it was our own wanting to control everything that uh, that was our, our downfall. And I, I guess I will say it's my downfall. But one of the songs I wrote was a song called uh, So Cold that came up before Silent Dreams. And... Um, Chrysalis Records, which was a, mm. a big label mm-hmm. at the time, like an uh, actual major label, yeah. uh, contacted us, and they wanted to buy that for uh, one of their metal bands, um, Armored Saint. Oh, wow. Armored Saint really liked that song, and they really wanted to release it themselves. And Silly Me uh, had the, the attitude that, well, if, if you know the song's good enough, for them to buy, then we're good enough to sign. Right. And uh, I just held back and held back and held back till I didn't want it anymore. Uh, and that was, that was prior to the album. And then when the album came out, we were contacted by a few management companies and it was the same thing. I, I just thought, well, you know, why do we need these guys? We've been doing so great on our own. And mm-hmm. I think in reality, you know, um, we were doing great on our own but at some point you got to pass the torch to someone who has the ability to do more for you right but but it's also got to be the right time I again with owning a venue and seeing a lot of these young bands and the advent of the internet um i see a lot of these young bands just getting ripped off by pseudo management companies that that contact every single band they can find and say we can put together a press kit for you and contact these people and contact these people and all they really do is, you know, suck a thousand dollars out of them and don't do anything. Yeah, um, it happened all the time with bands, and, and it, unfortunately, it's these really young bands that, at the point they're at, should be working really hard and doing everything possible uh, to try to make their band go. And instead, someone suckers them, they give away the money, and then they sit back and they'll waste a year, year and a half, and that'll kill a band. Oh yeah, and that's the end. That's the end of it. That's real, really sad. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's shady people in in every business. Yes, there definitely is. That is for sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna play another tune. We'll come back and we'll hear more from Steve Harm. Uh, we're talking to him about the victims. Uh, their album Silent Dreams came out in 1986. There's a re-release this Friday digitally, and uh, here's another track from that. This one is called "Won't Let It Happen Again," and you're listening to it on the Sound on 89.5 KQAL. Yes, you did, girl. 
happen again that is from the victims album silent dreams and uh it is being re-released this friday digitally and uh i have steve harm from the victims on the phone today uh steve so uh you've mentioned a couple times that you're a venue owner um i think we can say it it's the warehouse and lacrosse and um i did kind of want to mention that because uh you know we've talked about the differences of like bands today you know a young band trying to get started and uh promoting and getting your stuff out there versus you know the mid 80s and the the legwork you had to do and stuff um and steve i just want to tell you this personally like i honestly i see you as kind of a local hero in the music scene because of what you've done with the warehouse there and uh i just think that's a fantastic uh, place for kids to go it's a fantastic thing to help you as a, as a, as a young musician, to help you grow, uh, your talent and your skill, your art form. Um, so I, I just personally, I want to thank you for that. Um, you know, I, you know, when I was younger, I kind of left the area and came back. So I wasn't around when the warehouse started, but, um, I've known a lot of people that have come through there and I just think it's a fantastic thing. So Steve, thanks for, for doing that for the community, you know? Well, I appreciate those comments. That's it's, it's, uh, it's, certainly a labor of love and it's, you mm-hmm. know, it's a ton of work but there's there's a there's um there's gratification once in a while too with uh you know seeing the smiles on kids faces and mm-hmm. um talking i really like talking to parents of these young kids right That's, a lot of them are uh, a lot of the parents that come in are are very they're very suspicious they're really doubtful they, they don't like this band thing at all right and they've got they've got a couple kids one kid is a a sports kid and he's playing basketball, he's playing football and they understand that. And that's exciting for them because he's on team sports and they can go watch with other parents. 
but this other kid with the guitar in the garage, what the heck is he doing? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm in the sound booth and I'll see him standing next to the sound booth watching their kid play. I see the look on their face and I'll start up a conversation with them as, after the set is done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll say, you know, is one of those kids yours? Yep, the bass player. He's, he wants to be a rock star. And uh, I said, well, you know what? Um, some of those kids might end up being rock stars. Yeah. But even if they're not, the, the, if you've got a, a kid in sports who plays football, he can, he can maybe do that for a while in his life. That kid with his guitar, he can carry that until he's 90 years old and you know, still play mm-hmm. the same song. And that kid that's on stage playing guitar might get so motivated, and I, you know, I, I base this on how we did it, might get so motivated that they take some marketing classes and they take some accounting classes and, uh, you know, they learn some different things like that. And you go to a, a concert at uh, the Target Center, the XL Energy Center, or something like that, and sit in the back and look at that stage and then imagine between you and that stage what it took to make that show happen and how many jobs are involved. Mm-hmm. And you can, I can, I, you know, I explain to those parents how many jobs are involved in the, in the music industry. There's uh, even on that, that tour where that kid can have just as much fun putting on a show as he does on stage. Um, there's a, there's a production company that's doing sound and lights and pyro and everything else. There's a catering company. There's accountants that tour with, there are merchandise people that sell merch. There are, there's a, a band manager traveling with them. Uh, there's a wardrobe people that take care of wardrobes. Uh, there's a publicist that had to advance the show uh, with all the local media. Um, there, are, you know, radio people that would have worked the radio. There, there's there's a ton of people involved in the music business behind the scenes, and there's there's a lot of jobs there that that you know the kid that picks up a guitar and thinks maybe he wants to be a rock star could actually end up you know doing something else and he enjoys just as much. I'm I'm behind the scenes and. Uh, um, it's very rare that I want to get up on stage and play. Mm-hmm. Very rare. <laughs> well, and that's but I, but I really like having a, a good show workout where everybody is having fun and the band is having fun and and everybody leaves smiling. That's 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 just as good as me being on stage doing it. Exactly. Because I am the back pulling the strings as the puppeteer to make it all happen. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it builds the community, you know, and it, uh, I think it provides a sense of belonging for people, you know, and like you said, you know, they might go on to other careers in music other than being on stage, but it could also lead to careers outside of music, you know, just by well, feeding their passion and interest, you know? Well, and, and, you know, parents like uh, team sports because it, it, it builds that team attitude. Well, a band is a team too. Oh yeah. And in fact, when you're, you know, unless you're making fumbles all the time, um, uh, you're, you're, you're an okay football player. If your drummer's screwing up all the time, he's, he's probably gone. <laughs> right. Right. So, I'd venture to say that a band is harder to, uh, keep together and wrangle than a football team. You know, I mean, you, you got, four. well, considering what we, we have a lot of, you know, touring bands that come here and, and we've had them have fist fights on the stage because they've been in the, They've been in a van for 45 days, mm-hmm. and you know, and the, the guitar player just found out that the bass player has been uh, hitting on his girlfriend. Or, mm-hmm. You know, I've seen I've seen everything imaginable. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a it's a tough thing. I always uh, talk to other business owners once in a while, and they're talking about how hard it is. You know, they've got a restaurant, so it's really hard with the staff and trying to get the one waitress to work with another waitress. And I say, imagine having five bands come in. 
you've suddenly got 25 new employees you've never met before <laughs> in four hours four hours from the time they get there they got to be coordinated enough to put on entertainment for three or four hours for a packed room and you got to be able to have control of them it's, uh, right. you know, it's, it's a challenge every day it's new employees yeah I never looked at it that way. Wow, that is, talk about herding cats, you know? <laughs> well, let's get back into some tunes here. Um, we've got another track here. Uh, I'm talking to Steve Harm tonight. Uh, he's from The Victims. The Victims had an album in 1986 called Silent Dreams, and uh, it is being re-released uh, this Friday, April 23rd. And uh, this next track here is called Whispering Walls, and you're listening to The Sound on 89.5 KQAL. Whispering Walls, and that is from The Victims. That's from their album called Silent Dreams. It was originally released in 1986. It is being re-released this Friday, April 23rd. And we have Steve Harm from The Victims on the phone with us tonight. The album is available on Bandcamp. Um, the whole album this Friday, April 23rd. Um, is there anywhere else people can get, can get the album? Or um, Well, they've 
uh, I don't know if there are any CDs left or not. They were doing a super limited run of the CDs, but mm-hmm. that was also just on Bandcamp. Right. Um, I mean, we've only discussed uh, remastering it and doing the digital release and the, doing the limited CD run. It was all kind of a fundraiser to raise some money for the warehouse because, you know, COVID-19 and venues don't mix very well. Right. And, you know, we've been closed for 13 months now. And it's that's uh, more than a challenge financially. Right, right. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to um, uh, tell people about that. Uh, the warehouse rocks.com. Is that correct? Is that the website? Yep. Or if, if it's easier, they can just go to whrocks.com. Oh, okay. WH rocks. Great. Cause is there a way, there's a way they can donate there, right? Or something like that to help support the warehouse this time. Yep. There's a link to a Facebook fundraiser and there's also a link just straight to our, our PayPal. So it's, it's really easy if they choose to, and anything they donate is uh, tax deductible because the warehouse is a, a 501c3 nonprofit. Oh, fantastic. Great. So yeah, um, anyone out there, you want to support local music, um, this is a fantastic cause. Uh, go to whrocks.com and uh, you, there you can donate and you can also find out a lot about the warehouse and uh, what's going on there. And uh, uh, hopefully at some point here we can uh, start seeing shows again. Oh, Steve, well, it was, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I have one more track I want to play. I'm going to play one of those previously uh, unreleased tracks, The Goodbye. Um, I really oh, cool. like that track, so I thought we'd go out with that. But um, I just want to say thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and um, and uh, I don't think I'm overstating that, and I, I truly believe it, Steve. I think you are a local hero in the music scene, and uh, thank you so much. So. You're certainly welcome, and uh, you're too kind. <laughs> well, we've been here talking to Steve Harm of The Victims. Uh, their album that came out in 1986 called Silent Dreams is being re-released digitally this Friday, April 23rd. So uh, go ahead and get that uh, digitally. I, there probably aren't CDs left, but uh, we did get a copy for the station. So uh, call us up and request it. Uh, we will play it for you. So um, again, Steve, thanks so much. Uh, loved it. Love the record. Love talking to you. And uh, yeah, we're going to play uh, Goodbye right now. Okay, goodbye.
rolling. Thanks again to Steve Harm of The Victims for joining us tonight on The Sound. The Victims' digital re-release of Silent Dreams can be found by searching Victims OG on Bandcamp. For more deep dives into local and regional albums, tune into The Sound every Wednesday night at 6, right here on 89.5 KQAL. I'm Bill Stoneberg, and we've just heard from Steve Harm and The Victims on The Sound. Thanks for listening to The Sound. The Sound is produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Visit us online at kqal.org. Theme music for The Sound provided by Mike Terrell of Fires of Denmark.